I want to begin this morning with a story that I came across this week uh, by a pastor by the name of uh, Greg Larson. And uh, in one of his sermons, he tells the story of one of Spain's most famous uh, and most successful uh, of bullfighters until uh, the infamous day uh, when he turned 21 years old. His last words were these, this bull, this bull has killed me. Those were his last words. So said Jose Cubero, hopefully I got that right, one of Spain's most brilliant matadors, writes Larson, before he lost consciousness and died on the arena floor in front of thousands of people in Spain. Only 21 years old at his death, he had been enjoying what was the most spectacular career at least up until that age, of any young matador in all of Spain. However, in this particular fight in 1958, Jose made a tragic, a tragic mistake. He thrust his sword one final time into what was a delirious and bleeding bull which collapsed on the arena floor. Of course, considering the struggle to be finished, Jose put down his sword and turned to the crowd to acknowledge the array of applauses that were raining down on him from the lower and upper decks. The bull, however, the bull, the bull was not dead. The bull was not dead. It rose. It lunged at the, of course, unsuspecting and defenseless young matador. It pierced its horn right into his back, puncturing straight into the young matador's heart. Larson applies this story and he says this. Just when we think, just when we think that we've finished off pride, just when we turn to accept the congratulations of the crowd, pride, he says, stabs us in the back. We should never consider pride dead before we are. Should never consider pride dead before we are. And we're going to be talking about this deadly bull of a sin called pride. Four questions today, hopefully four answers that I hope will shape our our sermon. So question number one, what is pride? Well, before we talk about pride, we have to understand what it is. We have to define it. So what is pride? Number two, what does the Bible say about pride? After we understand what pride is, then it's a good thing for us to turn to God's word and to ask it to help us not only understand what pride is, but what God says about pride and what he does to the proud. So question number two, what does the Bible have to say about pride? Question number three, what are the faces of pride? And by faces, I mean, what are the forms of pride? What are the manifestations of pride? What, what, is, what does pride maybe look like in my life? What, is, what does pride maybe look like in, in your life? And we'll see six faces of pride. Question number four. We'll wrap up with a question, how can I fight pride? And of course, we all want to know this, not just what it is and what the Bible says about it and what it looks like, but, but how do we face this bull and win? How do we win against pride? Four questions, four answers that will shape our sermon today. Let's, let's begin by diving into the first question. And the first question is this, what is pride? Simply, simply put, what is it? How, how shall we think of it? What, what is it? its essence? Well, in my humble opinion, the essence of pride is summed up by, of course, the former NFL star Terrell Owens. I don't know if you're familiar with Terrell Owens, but he was a bit of a a cocky guy 
And he wasn't afraid to let you know. Of course, he played wide receiver for my beloved Dallas Cowboys. I think he played for a few other teams as well, like, you know, maybe the team up in Philly, you know, a few other teams. But he played for the Cowboys, and that's all that really matters. Now, he was, uh, he was a bit uh, of a proud man, and I think he epitomizes the heart of pride with uh, a kind of a famous game day antic. You can see this. Uh, there are videos of him speaking on the field, usually on the sideline. But, but one of his famous sayings, amongst others, is this. He would say, I love me some me. I love me some me. That's what he would say. And I think that's the heart of pride, right? That's the essence of pride. Uh, Brian Hedges in his, his book, Hit List, will refer to it uh, over and over again. He says this. He says, pride is self-centeredness. Pride is, is self-concern. It's inordinate, that is out of balance, self-love. Pride is self-absorption. And then he writes this, and I think it's a very good definition of pride. Pride is thinking much about one's self, and pride is thinking much of oneself. Did you get that? Pride is, is that we think a lot about ourselves, and pride is we think a lot of ourselves, right? We think too much about us and our life, and we think too highly about us and our life. We see this connection biblically. We see the connection in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You'll see it on the screen uh, behind me. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we see this connection between love of self and pride or, or arrogance. What Paul is doing in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is he's describing what will characterize the world in the days before Christ's return. So about 2,000 years ago up until present day, right? What will kind of characterize the world? I just want to start the list off. He lists several things, but in verse uh, 1, he says this, people will be lovers of what? Themselves. Number one, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and then the next two things he says are what? Boastful and what? Proud, right? Lovers of self, boastful and proud. See, sin, not just pride, but, but all sin in its essence but especially seen in the sin of pride, sin bends us inward. It bends us inward. It's a self-inward uh, orientation. It bends us inward instead of upwards to God and outwards to others. So God created us pre-fall to, to kind of have an upward orientation towards himself and an outward orientation to others, but sin has corrupted that, and we turn inward. One commentator by the name of Reed uh, likens pride he likens pride to the unyielding, inward, gravitational pull of a black hole, right? You know what a black hole is in space, at least theoretically. It's a, it's a strong, inward, gravitational pull, and it pulls everything within kind of its orbit inward. And he says, pride is like this. And I quote, he says, sin as a state of being, just generally speaking, is the ultimate black hole of the spirit, the implosion of an inwardly gravitating self. And the black hole, he says, the black hole is pride. The black hole is pride. So what is pride? What is pride? It's self-centeredness, self-love, self-absorption. It's thinking too much about ourselves and too high of ourselves. That is the essence of pride. So having defined pride, I want to turn to answer 
question number two. Let's, let's see most significantly, what does God say about pride in the Bible? So let's, let's turn to question number two. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about pride? Well, uh, on Monday, as I always do, I find my way into the office when, it, when it's time to start working on the sermon. Uh, I get everything ready, and okay, here's my subject. And most importantly, in any sermon, I, I want to ask, what does the Bible say, right? What does the Bible say? Because the Bible reflects God's heart. He's the author. It's, it's God-breathed. And so if I go to the text and I say, okay, God, I want to know what you think about pride. And so I, I get my little Libronics program, and it's, it's up, it's digital, and I do a word study in the, original, uh, in the original language, pride, right? It's very simple, pride. And I look it up, and I want to know what the Bible says about pride. You want to know how many references, just simple uses of the term pride or proud or maybe related words like, like boast, boastful, you know, those kind of terms. I searched all of those terms both in the Old and New Testament, over 200 hits. Over 200 times, the Bible directly talks about pride. And certainly, there's more than that, because that's that's not a catch-all, right? There are other verses that speak on the issue of pride without actually using the word. 200 times, and so I thought, man, this is going to be a really long sermon, right? Uh, if I want to answer the question, what does the Bible say about pride? So I began to look through the verses, and it became fairly obvious that there were categories of verses. There are categories of thoughts, repeated themes when we ask the question, what does the Bible have to say about pride? Now, I can't give you, it's not exhaustive, but here are four things, four kind of categories of verses that you see pop up over and over and over again. Number one, God often warns us against pride. He warns people not to be proud. Here's just one example. Psalm 75, it may be in your lap or behind you. Psalm 75, verses 4 through 5. The psalmist says this, To the arrogant I say, of course God's speaking through the psalmist, To the arrogant I say, boast no more, and to the wicked Do not lift up your horns. Do not lift up your horns against heaven. Do not speak so defiantly. Again and again and again. I can give you the exhaustive list if you want. God warns people about the dangers of pride. Don't be proud. Number two, not only does God warn people about pride, but numerous scriptures affirm that the way God feels about pride could best be described with the word hate. Does God hate? Yes, God hates sin. And pride is a sin. And so he hates pride. Here's one, just one scripture. Proverbs 8, 13. The proverb says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And then he adds, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Here's something I want you to jot down. Write this down. Proverbs 6, 16. Proverbs 6, 16 may be running through verse 18, because what you find in Proverbs 6, 16, now, we're talking about the seven deadly sins, right? And, and we came, you know, human beings came up with a list. But in Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, is a list of God's seven deadly sins, if you want to say. There you find a list of seven sins that God explicitly says, I hate these. I hate these things. It doesn't mean he hates them more or less, but he's, he's, he's giving us seven things, right? I hate these things. Guess what's number one? 
pride. Pride is number one. So he warns us against pride. He hates pride. Number three, the next category of truth that comes forth from the Bible is that God, and this should scare us, God actively works against the proud. God of the universe, holy, just, powerful, righteous, omnipotent, all-knowing, he works against you and me in our pride. James 4.6, maybe familiar with this verse. <clears throat> James says, but, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the what, church? The proud. God opposes the proud, but he, he shows favor or grace to the who? To the humble, right? He opposes the proud. He actively works against those who are proud. And if we just ponder that for a minute, we should think, I don't want God working against me. Do you? I don't. Number four, not only does he warn us, he hates it, he actively works against it. Number four, God will judge pride. Numerous. In fact, this may be the biggest group of all of the verses. God will judge pride. Here in Isaiah chapter 2, go home and read all of it. It's a It's a good section. Isaiah chapter 2, I want to look at verses 11 and 12. But here, Isaiah is speaking of a future day. It's yet future. A day of judgment for all people, including me and you. And on that day, Isaiah affirms that God will judge the proud. Verse 11, the eyes of the arrogant will be humbled. And And human pride will be brought low. The Lord alone Notice the connection between our pride and God. When we lift ourselves up, we make God lower and lower. And when we put ourselves down, that is, we put ourselves in a right relationship with God, right? God is exalted. And human pride will be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and the lofty, for all that is exalted, and 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 they will be humbled. So, that's just a quick overview. There is so much. But these are the four kind of repeated main themes when we look at what God says about pride. He warns us, don't be proud. He says, I I hate this. If you're a child of mine, you should hate it too. He says, I will work against you if you're proud. And ultimately, like all sins, it will lead to the judgment of God. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Christ to pay for our sins and to rise from the dead to cover our sins, including our pride. So in light of these four truths, in light of these four things that we've learned, what we need is this. We need a field guide for pride. You know what a field guide is, right? It's, it's kind of a pamphlet, and it says, let me show you around, right? Let me lead you and, and show you everything that there is to know. A field guide. We need a field guide for pride to show us its different faces, to show us its different forms, hopefully providing a a clear line of sight so that we we can put pride in the crosshairs of our gun and we can aim to kill. That's what we want to do, right? So, so let's begin to transition to question number three. We've answered what pride is and we've seen kind of generally what the Bible says about pride. I want to spend some time here because this is what we all struggle with. It's moving now from the scriptures into our own lives and our own struggles with pride. What are the faces of pride? What 
What does it look like? One of the characters in the Marvel's X-Men movie, and there should be a picture up on the screen. I don't know if you follow the X-Men movies or not. I've seen a few of them. I don't follow them, but you know they're decent, I guess, uh, sci-fi movies. One of the characters is a woman who is, of course, a mutant. That's what X-Men is all about. And uh, her, her name is Mystique. Her name is Mystique. She's there uh, behind me. And she is what is known kind of historically in literature, as a shape-shifter. A shape-shifter. If you don't know what it is, go Google it. That's what I had to do. Shape-shifter. What's that? I I looked it up. A shape-shifter is essentially a a being who can change shapes. They can change forms. So they can look like Trey one minute, and they can look like somebody else or something else the next. And this is what Mystique is. She, of course, normally appears, as you see her behind me in her kind of blue-skinned, yellow-eyed kind of form, but she can change forms. She can look like anyone. And that, of course, in the movies makes her quite a challenge to fight. It's hard to fight someone when they're changing on you all the time. You don't know if they are who they are or who they aren't. It's, It's difficult when this enemy changes appearances. And the same is true of pride. When we look at pride and the forms or the the faces of pride in our life, it can be a lot like fighting mystique because we see pride in one form and we say, that's pride. But then pride changes into another form and we look at that form and we say, well, that's not pride, is it? Or, Or is it? It changes on us. And so we need to know all the faces of pride. Of course, all is a bit of exaggeration, but the faces of pride that we can identify. So, Pastor Myers, in his chapter the book, in the book Killjoys, which we'll reference again and again, he has written the book on pride. And he has a very helpful section called uh, the faces, Fighting the Faces of Pride. And he suggests in his book, and I'm going to lean on him pretty heavily here, six faces, six forms of pride, okay? So six forms, hopefully they're there on the screen behind you. The first three are different than the last three. The first three faces of pride happen when we build ourselves up, right? It's a self-exaltation. We build ourselves up, often at the expense of others, but not entirely. We are building ourselves up, and it often appears this kind of pride rears its ugly head when we succeed, and even sometimes when other people fail, okay? So we are building ourselves up, we're successful, other people may fail. That's, that's the context of what he suggests are the first three faces of, of pride. As we work our way through, I want you to examine your heart and your life and to think, man, is, does that describe me? Do I see that in my life? Number one, self-exaltation. Self-exaltation. Self-exaltation is a heart attitude. So it's not so much an action but it's an attitude, it's an inward demeanor of the spirit. And it's a hard attitude that does this. It takes credit for the good things in our lives. We saw that with the skit this morning. It, it, it takes credit for all the good things in our lives, whether the possessions that we have, the good looks that we may have or not, the accomplishments that we perform. It says, All of that, all of the good that is in my life is ultimately, and that's a key word, ultimately because of me. 
it buys the lie that we ultimately have what we have and are what we are because of who? Because of us. Because of us. Because of my hard work. Because of my skills. Because of my ingenuity. Because of my brilliance. God warns Israel about this kind of pride. Notice in the text behind me, Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, God warns his people about this kind of pride. He says, you may say to yourself, when they enter the promised land, you may say to yourself, notice, whose power? My power. And the strength of what? My hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So God warns his people. Do you have a hand in it? Certainly. But where does it ultimately come from? From God. So there is the face of pride that is a self-exaltation. This is what we most often think of when we think of what pride is. But there's another face, and it's self-promotion. Self-promotion. It's an extension of self-exaltation. The self-exalting heart says, I, I take credit ultimately for all of this. It's an, it's an inward heart thing, but, but then it, it can become self-promotion. This is when we actually hold out our accomplishments in front of other people, in front of other people so that they too can give us credit for what we've done, right? So it's not just the heart saying, boy, I made this business all on my own. Look at my GPA. I did it all by myself. It's saying, hey, did you notice my report card? Hey, did you notice my, my sales, what they looked like this month, right? It's not just inward, it's outward towards other people, self-promotion, so that they can give us credit, just like we are giving ourselves credit. So we see it uh, in the guy who's maybe name-dropping at the party, the people he knows. We see it in maybe the businessman all too eager to tell about his latest sale. This is what Jesus is talking about. In Matthew 23, 5, on the screen behind me, this is what he is talking about, the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, everything they do is to be done for people to see, right? Self-exaltation often leads to self-promotion. And we often relate these two things to pride, don't we? We can look at these two forms and faces and say, yep, I know that guy. Yep, I know that gal. She's proud. He's proud. We can identify that. A third one is a little bit harder to identify. It's self-righteousness. The Bible talks a lot about self-righteousness. This is trusting in our own morality, in our own good behavior, whether it be relative to, often it's it's relative to other people, right? We're self-righteous because we compare ourselves to others or the world around and we say, okay, we're, we're better than these folks with our behavior. And it's taking our good behavior and our, and our morality, and it's, it's seeing it as a way to be right with God. So we're saying, I'm a pretty good person. God, I'm going to make it into heaven. This is the person, just for example, this is the person who thinks that they're going to heaven because they were baptized, because they, they took a dunk, and, and the water were sprinkled, right? They're trusting in, in self rather than Christ. This is the person that says, well, I'm a good person. Of course I'm going to heaven. I'm a, I'm a good person. I go to church. I'm decent. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't, you know, and they just kind of go through all these bad things, right? Self-righteousness. Jesus warns us about this in Luke 18. He, he describes the people who he tells this parable to, and he says this, they were confident 
in their own righteousness. And they look down on everyone else, right? So there's the first three faces of pride that that Meyer suggested. Self-exaltation, self-promotion, self-righteousness. Sometimes these are pretty easy. In fact, most of the time, these are relatively easy to spot. But let's turn to the last three faces because these... These can be a little harder to spot because we don't often associate them with pride. In the first three, we build ourselves up, right? And we succeed and others fail. Well, in, in, the, in the third one, we tear ourselves down. It often happens when others succeed and we fail, and yet they are still forms of pride. Number four, self, what he calls self-degradation. This face is when we tear ourselves down. It's, it's taking oftentimes too much responsibility, too much blame, and, and never any credit. Not ultimate credit, but penultimate credit. This is the person who is unable to say, thank you, when someone says, great job, you did wonderful. Hey, this was a success. And, and it's the person who says, oh yeah, well, okay, it just fell in place. Right? They, they can't say, Thank you. I, I appreciate that. They often blame themselves when it's even others' people's, others' fault. It's not their fault, but they want to take the blame. And this, too, is a form of pride. Self-demotion, not, not just self-degradation, but self-demotion. It's, it's a similar face, right? Self-demotion loves to throw parties. They're, they're party animals. They love to throw public pity parties for themselves. And they want everybody to come to their pity party right? And they, what, what self-demoters do is they, is they want to show everyone, I have it worse than you. I have it much worse than you. My job, it's horrible compared to yours. My marriage, it's horrible compared to yours. My kids, they're awful compared to yours. My life, it stinks. Yours is great. Come to my pity party. And this too is a form of pride. Self-condemnation. Self-condemnation, this face renders us guilty when we fall short of our own standards. High standards, high expectations of ourselves, we fall short of them, and so we beat ourselves up. This is a life dominated by self-shame. Maybe you know somebody like that. They're just always guilty because they feel like they've, they've kind of fallen short all the time. This is the person who replays their poor performances or their failures over and over again in their mind to kind of beat themselves up, right? They're, they're masochists in, in a spiritual kind of a sense. While self-righteousness, which is the, the opposite sin of self-condemnation, while self-righteous people think, they think they're too good to need God's grace, Right? But, but the self-condemning person, they think that they're too bad to receive God's grace. And both are wrong. Myers sums up by saying, the common denominator in all six species of pride is self-preoccupation. Pride. Pride wants to be the center of attention for good or for bad. Wow, six faces of pride. I see myself in many of them. But regardless of what form your pride may take, and it may be multiple mystique-like forms of pride, regardless, we have to fight it. If you follow Christ, we have to follow, we have to battle, and we have to put it to death. So how, how do we do that? Let's spend the remaining time we have by answering our fourth question. How can we fight pride? Let me suggest uh, three things. 
me suggest three things that I, that I see in Scripture that I think will be helpful in, priding, in fighting pride. Number one, we need to see more of God. See more of Him. Number two, we need to make less of ourselves. And, and number three, we need to make more of God. See more of God. Make less of me. Make more of God. Number one, we need to see more of God. What do I mean by that? See, see more of God. Well, just, just think about it for a second. If pride is making too much of ourselves, then the first way we fight it is by reversing that, by making more of God. And the way we make more of who God is is by seeing more of Him. I want to share a quote with you from a, a Puritan writer, John Owens. He has lots of good things to say. He says, These are the two things that are suited to humble the souls of men. And they are first, number one, a due consideration of God. Seeing God. Number two, and then seeing themselves. As it relates to considering God, his greatness, glory, holiness, power, majesty, uh, authority. And then number two, as it relates to ourselves in our mean, abject, and sinful condition. Listen, these two things often go together in the Bible, right? Having a, a great vision of who God is and a humble heart often go together. So think of Isaiah chapter 6. It's not on the screen, but Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah finds himself in the throne room of heaven. You may be familiar. And, and, and things start happening, and the threshold starts to shake, and there's smoke. And he gets a big glimpse of who God is on his throne. And he is humbled. Woe is me, right? For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, right? He, he sees who God is, and he sees himself in a right relationship to God. We see, the, we see this with Job. Remember our series way back when, when we looked at Job, and Job complains, complains, and he, he has these conversations, and then God says, okay, let's go on a little tour of the universe, right? And he shows Job everything in creation. He controls it. He knows what's going on in creation, and he takes Job on this tour of his kind of Heavenly menagerie, right? And, and at the end of it, what's Job's response? Job 42.5. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have what? Seen you. He's, he got to see more of God. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and, in, in dust and ashes. Listen, if we want to fight pride, then we need to spend time with God in, his, in prayer, talking to him in his word, seeing all he is in his glory, reading about God, fellowship with other Christians who help teach us about God and their experience in church, in nature, and the, the bigger vision of God that we get, guess what? Our pride will get smaller, right? So we need to see more of God. Secondly, we need to make less of ourselves. We need to make less of ourselves. If pride is Superman, then humility is kryptonite, right? If pride is Superman, then humility is pride's Kryptonite. C.S. Lewis, he once wrote this about humility. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Did you get that? Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. That is, Trey, you're so pitiful. You're the scum of the earth. You're so bad. That's not, no, no, that's not humility. It's just thinking less about me in general, right? We can, I think, get humility in two ways. Biblically speaking, number one, we can choose to humble ourselves, or number two, we can let God humble us. Okay, door A, humble yourself. Door B, let God humble you. A, B, it's not a hard choice. A, right? <laughs> the scriptures say, humble yourself. 
just really quickly, God commends King Josiah in the Old Testament and Daniel saying, you humbled yourself. So there's a sense in which people, we can humble ourselves, we can recognize pride, repent from pride, turn from it, ask for forgiveness, reorient our life to God who is glorious and great and the only true God, and we can humble ourselves. But let's be honest, that's hard, right? And we don't do that very well. And so there is door B, and door B is when sometimes God chooses to humble us. We see it in the Old Testament with Nebuchadnezzar. We see it with, uh, with, with uh, the king, uh, who am I thinking of? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, fair enough. We see it oftentimes with Pharaoh, thank you. With Pharaoh, God humbles him. We see it in the New Testament with Paul. So when you think of who is the best, the best epitome of the Christian that you can think of, we think of Paul, right? Paul, he's the best Christian. Okay, God, God had to humble him. We see it in 2 Corinthians 7. So here's the long and short of it. God gave him these spectacular visions of heaven, and Paul apparently maybe got proud. And so God said, okay, I'm going to humble you. It was likely through some kind of physical ailment. We don't know for sure. He calls it a thorn in his flesh, but he humbles him to teach him reliance upon God. Paul says this, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, Satan to torment me. So here's the point. God will and can humble us. Has he ever done that to you? Just think about your life. Has he ever done that in your life? He's done it in mine. Here's a, the short story. My junior year in high school, awesome. I was really successful. I didn't lose a match in tennis, which was my sport, uh, until late, late, late in the season. Um, uh, prom. I took the girl I wanted to the prom. I was like, I'm the man in this school. I took the best-looking girl. Uh, uh, science fair. Science fair. I made it to the world science fair. The world science fair. I'm not that smart, believe me. World science fair. Uh, and then uh, I, was, uh, I really wanted to be a salutatorian or valedictorian. And I ended the year number two. It's like right where I want to be, right? Junior year, really successful. What happened to Trey's pride? Oh, his head gets big, 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 big. Go into the senior year. God said, young son, and I was a Christian for one year at that point. One year I was a Christian. And he said, I'm going to pop your head, right? I'm going I'm to burst your bubble. I'm going I'm to I'm humble you. And uh, I didn't even make it out of district in tennis. That's the first round. Didn't even make it out. Didn't make it out. Uh, science fair. I didn't even make it out of the regional science fair. Not regional, not state, not national, not world. First round. First, I was one and done, right? What? Um, the girl that I liked, uh, she told me she wasn't so interested in me. So that was kind of a hard thing, you know? Um, and I'm trying to remember what the other was. School. So I was like, yeah, first and second, baby, here I come. Third. <laughs> Which is not bad. But I really wanted first and second to kind of beat my chest, right? And, and the point is that God, God can humble us. He can make our business fail. He can make our homework assignment fail. He can take away that which we put our pride in. You can say, well, let's, let's see how you do without it. We see more of God. We, we make less of ourselves. We humble ourselves. And then finally, we make more of God. We make more of God. This is what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 9. It's, it's on the screen behind me. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom or the strong boast in their strength or the rich boast in their riches. So there's lots of things we can boast in, but what should we boast in? Verse 24, but let the one who boasts boast about this that they have the understanding to what? To know me. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight. 
So here's the deal. Instead of boasting in ourselves, the Bible says, boast in something better. Boast in God. Boast in what he has done. And I'll close with this. Brian Hedges, he closes the section by saying this. Our hearts are glory vacuums. And we will only escape the gravitational pull of our inwardly imploding selves if there is a more powerful force holding our heart in orbit. That's why the counsel of Scripture isn't only do not boast, but boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Pride is present in every single sin. It's the core, the essence of almost all sins, and we should never turn our backs on it. It's a deadly bull. And my prayer is that often in my life and in your life, it will lay wounded and bleeding after being pierced by our heart of humility and our acts of humility. Yet, may we never neglect, may we never turn our backs on it. May we never consider pride dead until we are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this and for allowing us to see you better. May you humble us and may better we humble ourselves before you. Lord, you alone are worthy of worship, glory, praise, and honor. And we give it to you. Lord, help us to see the faces of pride in our own lives and then to make more of you, to make less of us, and to see more of you, we pray in God's name. Amen. This is how we're going to end. Let's stand, and I want to read together. All of us read together. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. Let's read this together. Let's read this together. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Amen. See you next week, guys.